Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, I'll talk with a psychologist about the anxiety a lot of kids are going through related to the pandemic. I'll have some thoughts from Ohio Senator Sherrod Brown on this past week's address to Congress delivered by President Joe Biden. Courtesy of our sister station, 10TV WBNS, Karina Nova presents segments about police reform and interviews with Columbus Democratic Congresswoman Joyce Beatty, Upper Arlington Republican Congressman Steve Stivers, and Paul Beck, political science professor with Ohio State University. And I'll wrap up the hour talking with representatives of the Cities for Financial Empowerment Fund about a grant Columbus is receiving to offer free financial counseling to hundreds of residents. First up on Columbus Perspective, joining me on the phone, mental health expert, Dr. Alfie Breland-Noble. How are you? I'm good, sir. How are you? Good. Thanks for talking to us. Before we get uh, into any details about what we're going to talk about, tell us about you. Sure. <laughs> sure. So my name is Dr. Alfie Breland-Noble. Most people call me Dr. Alfie because I work with kids, and Breland-Noble hyphenated is a mouthful, so Dr. Alfie is fine. Um, and I'm a psychologist. I specialize in mental health disparities, and I am so pleased to be a mental health expert supporting the Ag Council and Pivotal Ventures on this Sounded Out venture. This is my passion, and this is what I love to do. And this is a, a campaign aimed at middle schoolers who are suffering mentally during the pandemic. Absolutely. And in addition to our young people who might be struggling, it's also for our young people who are not yet struggling because part of what we want to do is provide caregivers and parents and anyone who takes care of young people with a language to help our young people understand better and then manage their emotional well-being. So you're absolutely right. Our focus is primarily on our young people who might be struggling with some emotional challenges, um, but we think there's also a lot of room to help anybody because mental health and, and mental illness are things that impact all of us. But since most of these issues show up before the age of 14, uh, for our young people, about half of our mental illnesses do. We want to equip uh, young people and the people in their lives to care for them with a language to engage in the conversation. And we'll have info about where folks can find out more about this Sounded Out campaign, but I guess you're utilizing music as a way to help? Yes, yes, exactly right. So uh, there's an album that will be on uh, streaming platforms, all the ones that people know and love. Uh, and there's also a website, soundedouttogether.org. And at the website, what you'll have is this wealth of resources, including videos. Some, I mean, I have to say this as a Gen Xer, really cool videos that just grabbed my attention and honestly almost made me cry um, because they're so poignant and they're so heartfelt. Um, and along with lyrics to the songs, along with visuals where you can see what these young people look like. And what's really special is you have these superior, world-renowned uh, musicians and artists who just capture the spirit of our young people's experience and their emotions. And, you know, the representation visually is just beautiful with Black and Latinx young people. So you'll find all of those resources there at that website. One of the things that the news release uh, says youth ER visits for mental health issues have increased 31% during the pandemic. What's going on? Yeah, so a couple things. Uh, when you look at many families of color, uh, mental illness is stigmatized. And because this campaign, as I said earlier, primarily focuses on African-American, Black, and Latinx young people, what we know is that the vast majority of these young people, when they have mental health issues, they do not get the care that they need for a myriad of reasons. Not all just financial, but some of them have to do with, you know, do families recognize that a child needs mental health support? 
Do they feel comfortable going to the traditional places? And so, you know, in my opinion, and based on some of the research that's out there, including some that we've conducted ourselves, what we know is that the ER often feels like a safe place to go to take your child. It also feels a little more culturally resonant because you're not taking your child to see a mental health professional per se um, if, if you have stigmatized uh, perceptions of mental illness, but you're taking your kids to see the nurses and the physicians and, and the people who work in the emergency room, which sometimes feels a little safer. As well, there's the reality that when a child is in crisis, of course you're going to go to the ER, you know, with mental health uh, or mental illness as with anything. So it really becomes a first line of defense. And with the isolation and loneliness our young people have been experiencing as a part of the pandemic, um, I understand why there's been this exponential increase in ER visits uh, around mental illness for our young people. Yeah, I can imagine the panic and anxiety because kids have really been pulled out of their world and they don't have a lifetime of experiences to draw on to deal with it. You nailed it. That is exactly right. And, and then in addition to that, I couldn't have said it any better. In addition to that, they're looking at their parents who are also struggling, right, who are also stressed. I think about the many numbers of kids of color who live in homes where the parents couldn't afford to stay home, right, be in the house with them every day and had to go work. So it's really thrown, I think, a lot of families of all races and ethnic groups. Uh, into a tailspin, and, and our young people pick up on what, you know, what they see in us. And so if the parents are struggling, by extension, it makes sense that our young people are witnessing that, they don't have outlets, they are isolated and lonely, and they may be struggling as well. So your question is spot on. Talking with Dr. Alfie Breland-Noble, she's a mental health expert. Do you have concerns about the pressure kids might be feeling, perhaps unfairly, about maybe poor grades as they've tried to learn in a totally different environment from home? 100%. I actually had a conversation a couple of days ago with a young African-American uh, male. He's a senior in high school. And what you just asked is exactly what he said. He felt so frustrated um, and was a straight-A student, and his grades had dropped to Bs and Cs, and he was just stressed about that because, in his, you know, in his opinion, all the, he basically was experiencing Zoom fatigue, right? And so all of the coursework that he has to do with, in the absence of any social interaction almost at all, and in the absence of the interactions with his teachers, where he could go, you know, ask questions on the fly or do a deep dive when he needed to by staying after class, almost none of that is available to him. And so uh, he's a football player, and one of his uh, teammates said exactly the same thing, that his grades had dropped as well. And that, you know, they just felt so much pressure to try to perform under these enormous circumstances and really felt like they didn't have enough support around them to help them with this. And that the curriculum hadn't changed enough and adapted to these new extraordinary circumstances. So, again, a a great question and definitely something that our young people are experiencing. And when things return to whatever the new normal looks like, do you worry at all about kids maybe kind of overcompensating or, you know, I don't know, be, becoming almost more aggressive than they would have been in their excitement to get back to some kind of normalcy? I, I do. I worry a little bit. I worry about that as well. I worry about um, the anxiety that many of our young people are feeling about the return, right? So you have many families who today, my family is one of them, are working on deciding how do they want to complete instruction in the fall. Do they want to do full-time in class? Do they want to do full-time at home? And so our young people are having to make these decisions um, almost in the absence of 
really a lot of guidance as to what they should be doing. And so, you know, again, it brings me back to these tools like Sound It Out Together. I mean, I'm compelled to, to say to myself, I'm going to go pick up some of those tools and, and use those, even though I'm a person who, you know, contributed to the creation of them because I need support, right? And so this anxiety about the, air quote, new normal and the lack of information about what is it going to look like, I think it's really worrying all of us. And I do think that some of our young people will be super eager and so happy to be out of the house again and have some of the freedoms that they've experienced. You think about these middle schoolers, them too, going to the mall, hanging out with their friends, that, you know, I do worry a little about throwing caution to the wind, but that's why we have tools like this to bring our, our young people back to sort of a reality check and, and to help them develop emotionally so that they're prepared to engage in, in, in safe behaviors once they get back out there. Complicated times. Uh, Dr. Alfie Brela noble again joining us. Tell us again where folks can find out more information. Thank you so much for that opening. The uh, website is sounditouttogether.org. All those words run together, and it's a campaign created by the Ad Council, excuse me, and Pivotal Ventures to support our young people. And streaming platforms is where people can listen to the album that's a part of this venture as well. Dr. Alfie, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. I appreciate it. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. President Joe Biden delivered his first address to Congress this past week. The morning after, I had a chance to talk quickly with U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown. Talking with U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown, Democrat from Ohio, what is your take on uh, President Biden's delivery last night? I I think that uh, America's back, that uh, we bottomed out in terms of the virus, in terms of the economy. The president promised a million shots a day during the first 100 days. We're, We're more than double that now. I, I think that um, he, he pointed out that Wall Street didn't build this country, workers built this country, workers and unions, uh, and that means we, we, don't, we get rid of this no longer trickle down, give tax breaks to the rich and it trickles down to the rest of the country. We build the economy from the middle class out and giving people opportunity and decent wages, and that's what I see happening in the next few months. When he talks about, you know, the top 55 corporations not paying federal taxes and all of that kind of talk and and taxing the wealthy is popular with most Americans. But does that make the environment more difficult for Democrats to work in? Well, if if 
if that's partisan, I don't understand it. I mean, if the, the fact that 50, 55 big American companies paid no corporate tax unites the public in thinking that's wrong. Trump voters, Biden voters all think we should fix that. Maybe some politicians in Washington, conservative politicians that take a lot of contributions from those corporations don't like it. But the country wants, wants a fair tax system. And when the wealthiest people in this country have seen their taxes go down, they've made more money during the pandemic than they ever made before. When corporations don't pay any taxes, we've got to fix it because we, we've got to do this infrastructure. We've got to help with child care. Um, we've got to do better with building housing and schools. And we've got to find a way to pay for it. And what we're saying is the wealthy should pay their fair share. And they haven't done that in, in a number of years. Again, Wall Street didn't build this economy. Workers did, and union workers especially. And we need to honor them and pursue that policy, not trickle-down economics. With this infrastructure package, is the Brent Spence Bridge in Cincinnati going to be rebuilt? Uh, I'm confident. The Brent Spence Bridge is located in Mitch McConnell's state, just by the definition of where the state line is. But I'm committed to working with him and with the president. Um, I think it's a very high priority in this infrastructure bill. Um, I'm going to be there fighting for it. And uh, Buying American, uh, the president talked about it last night. You've also been talking about it. Tell us what it is and what it means. Yeah, for years we've heard politicians talk about Buy America, but they built so many exceptions and exemptions and and waivers and all. Senator Portman and I have the legislation to require Buy America government-wide without the kinds of exceptions and loopholes and waivers so that when we do this infrastructure package um, and we invest in bridges and highways and schools and broadband, that these jobs are American jobs. American, they should mostly be American companies. They should be American workers. Uh, and uh, it, it, will, it will pay so many dividends all over our state. It's, if you've got more workers making things that for our bridges and our sewer systems and broadband and schools, and there are workers in Ohio, it means the restaurants are going to do better, the hardware store, the dry cleaning shop, all of those all, all of these communities will do better if we do Buy America right. And Senator Portman and I are committed to doing this right. Ohio uh, losing another uh, electoral vote in the census. What's your take on that? Well, we've had, we've had three decades of inept government in Columbus uh, where uh, they find they everything they do, they're more interested in guns and, and getting more gun, opening up more gun laws and and restricting women's health and choices than they are in bringing jobs to the state. And uh, I just, I mean, I, I, it breaks my heart that we've lost another congressional district as our population continues to be stagnant and our state government continues to twiddle its thumbs. Senator, anything else you want to add? Um, that's it. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it always. Thanks a lot. Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com and Thanks for listening. How do you know if you or a loved one is at risk of problem gambling? 
by knowing the signs, such as borrowing money, hiding unpaid debts, bragging about wins, or just plain irritability. Sound familiar? Get Set Before You Bet is Ohio's initiative to help keep gambling safe and responsible for everyone. How does it work? Just visit BeforeYouBet.org to learn more and take the responsible gambling quiz. Together, we can keep gambling safe and responsible in Ohio. This message brought to you by Ohio for Responsible Gambling. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Karina Nova. From their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. You cannot get over the fact that you have a teenager who is dead. And, and that's a horrible, horrible tragedy. Governor Mike DeWine addresses the shooting death of 16-year-old Micaiah Bryant. She died after getting shot by a Columbus police officer. Now DeWine is pushing for a police reform bill. That shooting happened the same day a jury reached a historic verdict in the Derek Chauvin trial. Representative Joyce Beatty says this is just a first step towards justice. And a shakeup is coming in Ohio politics. We talk one-on-one with Representative Steve Stivers, who announced he's making a career change. Thank you for joining us for Face the State. I'm Karina Nova. Columbus entered the national spotlight after a police officer shot and killed a 16-year-old girl. Micaiah Bryant's death sparked protests across the city. She died the same day a jury in Minneapolis found former police officer Derek Chauvin guilty of murdering George Floyd. In an effort to be transparent, Columbus police released body camera video of the moments leading up to Micaiah's death and what happened after she was shot. We have reviewed this video. It shows Micaiah holding a knife, apparently lunging at another woman. Here's 10TV's Clay Gordon. Interim Police Chief Mike Woods says Officer Nicholas Reardon was the one who discharged his firearm after two 911 calls to police. The footage shows seven people in a driveway. And when the officer says what's going on, that's when another woman is shoved to the ground. Police later identify Micaiah Bryant. She appears to be the one shoving down the other woman. Officer Reardon draws his gun. 10 seconds after getting out of the cruiser. A woman on the ground gets kicked by a man on the sidewalk. Columbus police say other potential crimes within this video are being investigated separately. Then you see Micaiah Bryant lunging towards a woman in pink with what appears to be a knife. Then the first shot is fired. As Micaiah falls to the ground and the officer's gun is still pointed at her. A third body camera angle shows officers rendering aid and CPR to Micaiah. Interim Chief Woods says medics were notified 90 seconds later. In Columbus, Clay Gordon, 10TV News. In response to the shooting, Governor Mike DeWine is pushing for lawmakers to pass a bill aimed at increasing police training statewide. The bill would also include money to help cities pay for training officers, which has been a sticking point in getting the bill passed. 10TV's Kevin Landers is at the State House to explain. Governor Mike DeWine says police officers across the state are not trained the same and that needs to change. He's supporting a bill that would not only require mandatory yearly de-escalation training, but also create a database to track use of force. The bill would provide a $10 million grant to assist local police agencies to buy body cameras and a $1 million grant to help police recruit women and minorities into law enforcement careers. The bill would create a state licensing board for police officers 
similar to what doctors and lawyers have, and it would create a database where officers who have worked in the past and track any disciplinary issues. These are common sense reforms. These are reforms that, that police can agree to. They're reforms that community activists can agree to, and they just make common sense. It's something the NAACP of Ohio supports. We've had so many situations in Ohio where a police officer uh, was about to be brought up on charges. He knew that. He then transferred to another department, and that uh, another police department. That information never stayed with him. So we believe if you're licensed like a doctor or a lawyer and you leave one police department and go to another, that information will follow you. State Representative Bill Plummer is the lead sponsor of the bill. He's also a former sheriff. Reporting from the State House, Kevin Landers, 10TV News. The night of the shooting, Columbus Police and Mayor Andrew Ginther held a late night news conference. Ginther's called the situation heartbreaking and horrible, and he discussed the thought process behind releasing the body camera video so quickly. We felt transparency and sharing this footage is incomplete as it may be at this time, is critically important to make sure we were sharing good, accurate information about what transpired today with the public and for this grieving family. As we mentioned, Micaiah's death happened the same day of Derek Chauvin's conviction. A jury found the former Minneapolis police officer guilty of murder and manslaughter in George Floyd's death. Chauvin kneeled on Floyd's neck for nine minutes. Members of the Congressional Black Caucus delivered a statement after the verdict was read. Here's Representative Joyce Beatty. Let me just say this to the press on behalf of the Congressional Black Caucus. We come today as a group. 56 strong. Our message today is this verdict we certainly agree with. Guilty on all charges. But we want our message to be very clear that this is just the first step. We know clearly that justice has been delayed. So when we come today, we will continue to say all of the names. We will fight continuously for all of those who died or have been injured senselessly by law enforcement. We know that there are still the mothers, the families, the children who are shedding tears today because a verdict will not bring back their family members. Here's what Governor Mike DeWine had to say about the Chauvin verdict. Our system of justice worked. The jury members listened to the evidence, did their duty, came back with a verdict. As we go forward as a nation, there is a lot for us to learn from this great tragedy. George Floyd's death laid bare some of our deepest divisions in our country. Our goal, my goal, all of our goal, should be to work every single day to bring us together as a people, uh, to bring us together as a country. Chauvin will be sentenced in about two months. In the meantime, you may have seen several claims online about how long he'll be in prison. Our National Verify team investigator Gabe Cohen breaks down the state's rules and the likely outcome. 
We're seeing a lot of claims about Derek Chauvin's sentence and how long it'll be. And a lot of them are wrong. So let's verify. How long could Chauvin be behind bars? Our sources, court records and rules, and three legal experts. Chauvin was convicted of all three charges, but in Minnesota, they don't add those together. He'll only serve time for the most severe charge, second-degree murder, which carries a maximum sentence of 40 years. But Minnesota uses sentencing guidelines, and for someone with no prior convictions like Chauvin, the recommended sentence is only 12 and a half years, with a range of 10 and a half to 15 years for the judge to pick from. Judge Cahill can extend the sentence beyond 15 years with what's called an upward to departure, but only if prosecutors present evidence of aggravating factors. It's rare. In 2019, only 1.4% of Minnesota cases ended in an upward departure. But prosecutors in Chauvin's case are asking the judge for a longer sentence, citing five factors that George Floyd handcuffed was particularly vulnerable, that he was treated with particular cruelty, that Chauvin abused a position of authority, that he committed the crime as part of a group, and that he did it in front of children. Typically, the jury decides if those aggravating factors exist, and then the judge will consider it during sentencing. I'm willing to waive it and have Judge Cahill decide on those issues. In this case, Chauvin waived that right. So basically, I will be answering those verdict form questions instead of the jury. It's all up to Judge Cahill if those factors exist and if they should mean a longer sentence. It's really probably a matter of practicality. We kind of implicitly know they've also said those factors are present. That's law professor Rachel Moran. Judge Cahill does have a fairly wide range of sentencing possibilities available to him. They'll hold a sentencing hearing where evidence of Chauvin's past could come up. Both parties have the opportunity to advocate for a specific sentence. That's law professor and former U.S. attorney Rachel Paulos. How many years might the state request? I don't have a sense of exactly how much time they'll request, but I think they'll want to send a message to the public and to law enforcement. I do think Judge Cahill is going to be very likely to go above the guidelines. That's law professor Ted Samsel-Jones. I think a sentence of 20 years is what I would expect. Do you think there's a chance the judge gets anywhere near 40 years? I would not want to speculate on that, Gabe, but I think it would be highly unusual. So we can verify Chauvin's sentence could be anywhere from no prison time up to 40 years. But our experts say it'll likely be much closer to that recommended range, 10 and a half to 15 years, even if Judge Cahill goes above it. Bear in mind, in Minnesota, offenders only serve two thirds of their sentence in prison and the last third on parole. Chauvin is now behind bars awaiting sentencing in eight weeks. With your Verify, I'm Gabe Cohen. If you see any claims online you'd like us to verify, you can email us. It's verify at 10tv.com. Representative Steve Stiver says he needed to make a big change in his life in order to spend more time with his family. Up next, he opens up about the decision to start a new career. Tracy Townsend asks him if he's out of the political world for good. Meanwhile, Dayton Mayor Nan Whaley announces she's coming after Governor Mike DeWine's job. Why, she says, she's better suited to lead Ohio. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. These are unprecedented times. Challenging how the YMCA works to strengthen community as we have for nearly 170 years. But we've always found ways to help people and communities in times of crisis. Right now, Ys across the country are providing emergency child care, shelter, 
food programs, and outreach to seniors, but we can't do it alone. Whether you're connected to the Y or have a fond Y memory, we need you to stay with us. Reach out to your local Y today and stay with us for a better us. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. In this next segment, political science professor Paul Beck from Ohio State University weighs in in an interview with Kevin Landers. Now back to Karina Nova, courtesy of 10TV. A shakeup is brewing in the U.S. House of Representatives. Ohio Congressman Steve Stiver says he's stepping down in May. He'll become president and CEO of the Ohio Chamber of Commerce. He spoke with Tracy Townsend about the decision and his future. So how long ago did you decide you wanted to make this move, or was this an opportunity that presented itself? This is, uh, they called me. Uh, it wasn't something that I chased, but it. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, I've been talking to them, and it uh, it uh, didn't really become that real until this weekend. But uh, then, uh, and I was very focused on maybe the United States Senate, but as I've evaluated running for the Senate or taking this job, I realized that, uh, you know, the if I take the Senate job, I'd be away from my kids more than I am now. And if I take the Ohio Chamber job, I'll be a, have a chance to be a dad again and be home, you know, seven days a week uh, in the evening at least. And, you know, I'll still have work to do, but uh, I won't be traveling and the job's based in Columbus, which is nice. Can you talk about what you'll be bringing to the table? I mean, I feel like you'll you'll have just this base of knowledge for Ohio businesses based on. Well, you know, I've had a chance to work with uh, hundreds of Ohio businesses in my time in Congress, and I'm excited to work now with thousands of businesses. They have 8,000 members and uh, work on issues that uh, will help grow our economy and help make sure that uh, the citizens of Ohio have a chance to have great jobs and great opportunity. And that's good for families and it's good for the Ohio economy. I'm super excited about this. So what about the downside? That's one less vote that they have in the uh, House if you that, leave. Well, once that's you right. And, you know, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, change happens and, uh, you know, the seat will be vacant for a little while. But the voters always get to choose a member of Congress. So there'll be a special election. Uh, and then, uh, you know, this, this there'll be somebody right behind me, I'm sure, that will do a great job. I'm excited to uh, see who steps up to run for Congress. But uh it's going to be a great opportunity. And there's a lot of great people that I think are interested. I'll certainly miss the people. Uh, I'll miss, um, you know, uh, dealing with bigger issues and making a difference for people all around the country, the veterans issues, things I've worked on. Um, but uh, there's a chance to make a huge difference in the state of Ohio for, you know, 11.3 million people that call Ohio home every day. And I'm excited to continue my work there. Could this be something like you'll do this for a minute and then maybe you'll run for governor? I, you know, I, I I never really plan out my future. If somebody would have told me I might work for the Ohio Chamber, I would have been surprised. So uh, I I just try to do what's in front of me and and the future takes care of itself if you do a good job. But I don't I don't know that I have any plans to run for office in the future. Mm -hmm. uh, I wouldn't want anybody to think that my time at the chamber is about setting my, me up to run for office. It's about setting Ohio up for success. And that's what uh, what I'm going to do. Stivers was reelected to represent Ohio's 15th congressional district in 2018, marking his fifth term. Stivers isn't the only Ohio name leaving a seat open. Senator Rob Portman announced earlier this year that he won't be running again. 10TV's Kevin Landers spoke with a political expert about what these two openings mean for Ohio's future. How unusual is this for Ohio politics? I think this is unusual. Ohio's had a, a very stable set of office holders 
over time. Uh, incumbents tend to stay in their position unless they happen to be defeated in, a, in an election. Both men have been in their seats since 2011. What does a new candidate for each of these seats mean to the state of Ohio? New ideas, new faces, new perspective, or are these solidly red seats? Well, it remains to be seen how solidly red they are. Uh, I expect that the nominees for both the, the congressional seat uh, that will be selected this year uh, and the Senate seat for next year, the Republican nominees, are going to be people who are more from the Trump wing of the party. Uh, again, it may be a very large wing. It may not be so large a wing. I don't think we know that yet. And so I think that's going to change the nature of representation on the Republican side, because it's going to bring into the fold, at least for the, the general election, people who are much more supporters of Donald Trump than either Portman or Stivers have been. Uh, and that is going to be a difference. Now, does that open things up for the Democrats? It could. Uh, I think it really depends upon what happens with Trump uh, and the Trump people in the party between now and 2022. Who do you think uh, would throw their name or who's likely, do you think, uh, to become the next uh, replacement for the Portman and Stiver seat? Anybody you can think of? Well, on the Portman side, it, it looks like the field is pretty much clearing on the Democratic side for Tim Ryan. Uh, you know, we'll see. There may be other people who throw their hat into the ring. But right now, I think uh, Ryan would be the odds-on favorite to be the Democratic nominee. On the Republican side, I don't know. Uh, there are going to be a passel of candidates, uh, each of them, it appears, running for the Trump endorsement. Uh, whether he will endorse anyone there is, of course, questionable. Uh, Josh Mandel would love to have that endorsement. Uh, and, and so would Jane Timken, of course. And then there are others as well who have, have really been supporters of President Trump when he was president and still are supporters there. And so I think it's going to be a free-for-all on the Republican side as each candidate tries to out-Trump the other. Uh, that, I think, is an opportunity for Tim Ryan to win that election in 2022. It doesn't mean that he can uh, assume that he is going to win it, uh, because this is still a, a moderately Republican state, uh, so he's going to have to uh, run a good campaign there. But divisiveness within the Republican uh, or on the Republican side that comes out of the primary could be a problem for the Republicans. Uh, on the Stivers replacement, I, I just don't know. I, I've read this morning who some possibilities may be. I don't know much about any of them except maybe for Stephanie Kunze, uh who, of course, is, is from, from uh, the Columbus area. And she would be somebody, I think, more in the Stivers mold. Uh, but there clearly will be people there who will be trying to grab the Trump mantle. Uh, and Trump may endorse in that particular primary. I, you know, who knows? I uh, may not pay much attention to it either. And of course, it comes up very fast. And then, of course, they have to run again in what might likely be a revamped district by the time the election in 2022 rolls around. Another race that heated up was the race for Ohio's next governor. You see, when you've been through what Dayton has, factories out, opioids in, Mother Nature running wild, a gunman changing everything in 32 seconds, it molds you. 
the mayor of Dayton wants to be governor of Ohio. This is part of the video Nan Whaley released saying she's seeking the nomination from the Democratic Party. She's been the mayor of Dayton since 2014. 10TV talked with her as she toured a local food bank earlier this week. You know, I'm running for uh, governor because I believe that the people of Ohio deserve better. Like I mentioned before, people are working longer and longer hours, getting paid less and less while their costs are going up. We as a state have to be laser focused on good paying job creation uh, with real wages that people can provide for their family. We also need to deliver on our long promise to provide education regardless of what zip code you live in. And we really can't get that done because, quite frankly, the state house is more concerned on who's lining their political pockets or their personal pockets and what self-interested lobbyist is coming through their door. Uh, we need full ethics reform to get any of these issues done because the issues that are taking the, um, the first mind of the state really have nothing to do with what's going on in communities like Columbus here or the other county and the other areas they're serving. Uh, that's what drives me into this race. As mayor of Dayton, I see that firsthand. Uh, and quite frankly, Mike DeWine is too weak to stand up to any of this. He's not willing to take on the corruption that we see. He's not willing to take on the extremists in his party. And Ohio deserves a change, and they deserve better. Some strong words there from Nan Whaley about Governor Mike DeWine. We asked Republican strategist Mark Weaver to respond to Whaley's challenge. Here's what he had to say. Democrats have had much trouble winning anything statewide in Ohio. They're a little bit like that team that used to play the Harlem Globetrotters, the Washington Generals. They just can't seem to get a win. Mike DeWine is a well-known person to most Ohioans. It will be difficult for her to change people's minds about him. People know him well enough to have an opinion about him. It's a good guess that Nan Whaley's name recognition outside of Dayton is in the single digits. She's just not that well-known. And now Mike DeWine, whatever you think of him, is the most dominant and durable brand in Ohio and has been for better than three decades. In other news, the push to get younger Ohioans to roll up their sleeves. The thought of my sons growing up without me inspired me to quit smoking. I talked to my doctors, and then I threw away all my cigarettes, ashtrays, and lighters. I started exercising instead of smoking. Getting support from friends online kept me on track. Staying away from alcohol when I was first quitting was key. Instead of smoking after I ate, I'd get up and take a walk. I missed having a cigarette in my hand, so I'd hold a pen or a straw, anything. Until I knew I wouldn't give in to temptation, I spent more time with my friends who didn't smoke. I went to places that were smoke-free. I didn't stay quit the very first time I tried. I kept on trying, and I learned something each time. Do whatever it takes. No matter how many times it takes. I quit. I quit. I quit. We did it. So can you. You can quit. For free help, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and CDC. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Karina Nova, courtesy of 10TV. After weeks of rising COVID-19 cases in Ohio, we're starting to go in the right direction when it comes to COVID-19 cases per 100,000 people. Governor Mike DeWine set the guidelines at 50 cases per 100,000 to drop the state's health order. But that could change. When asked, Governor Mike DeWine said he would look into using vaccinations as a guideline for lifting the health orders rather than the cases per 100,000 people. 
Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff, Ohio's chief medical officer, says the key right now to beating the virus is to get people vaccinated, especially young people. For many, many young people, what happens is you get the virus and it's relatively mild or you don't even notice you've got it at all and you're spreading it around to the people that you care about and they could get sick. Vaccine avoids all of that. And that does it for us here on Face the State today. Thanks so much for watching. Have a great day. That's again Karina Nova, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. ADHD. It's the child who can't pay attention or sit still in school, right? The answer may be yes. Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, or ADHD, can be complicated, and it can last a lifetime. Up to 75% of children and adolescents with ADHD have at least one additional mental disorder that requires a comprehensive approach to treatment. Learn more at moretoadhd.com. This message brought to you in partnership with ADA, ACO, and CHAD. I'm Major League Shortstop Didier Gores. While I might not play for your favorite baseball team, when it comes to fighting treatments for COVID-19, we're all on the same team. One important treatment that you may not know about is antibody-rich plasma. Being tested locally in a critical trial organized by John Hopkins University at covidplasmatrial.org. My favorite part of baseball season is getting to meet the fans and hear the roar of the crowd. At covidplasmatrial.org, you can show that this 100-year-old treatment option is safe and effective against COVID-19. It could be the key to getting us back to normal. And for those like me who have chronic conditions, it could be life-saving. Wow. If you have recently been exposed to or diagnosed with COVID-19, step up to the plate and go to covidplasmatrial.org to enroll. covidplasmatrial.org. Let's knock it out of the park. Did you know that every year, public school teachers spend nearly $500 of their own money for student supplies? At Donors Choose, we want students and teachers to have the tools they need for a great education. And now, more than ever, they need your help. Go to DonorsChoose.org and choose from teachers' requests that support reading, math, science, music, and more. Learn more at DonorsChoose.org. Donors Choose. Support a classroom. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past a turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's It's our our roads. It's It's our our safety. safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Joining me on the phone from New York City are two principals with the Cities for Financial Empowerment Fund. They are Fernanda Villasenor and Katie Platt. Fernanda provides technical assistance to cities looking to replicate financial empowerment strategies. And Katie oversees the organization's communications and fundraising efforts. Thanks to both of you for talking to us today. Yes, very excited to talk with you, Dave. And we're going to talk about Columbus having been selected to receive a grant to start a free public service to help residents tackle financial challenges. Uh, Fernanda, can you tell us about that? Yeah, of course. Uh, we started working uh, with the city back in 2019. 
to put together a strategic process around financial empowerment, um, which culminated in last year's release of a financial empowerment roadmap. Um, and in that roadmap, but was really meant to help the city, you know, coordinate, support, and grow Columbus financial empowerment services. Um, then, as part of the emergency response efforts, CSE Fund worked with the city of Columbus to rapidly deploy financial empowerment resource, resources, and they launched the Financial Navigators Initiative. Um, and along with other 30 municipalities, the city offered these public service designed to provide remote assistance in navigating financial issues and connecting residents with critical social services and resources. Now, with this new grant, um, the City of Columbus will be working to launch an SEC, which offers free professional one-on-one financial counseling as a public service to all residents to help them address uh, both their financial challenges and also improve their financial stability. Uh, so along with this sub-grant, we at CAP Fund will be providing technical assistance to the city so that they can uh, put together all the building blocks to, to launch this free public service. And this is something that you've been doing in lots of other cities around the country, right? Correct. So the SEC first launched in New York City, and since 2013, we have been working with different cohorts of cities that are also interested in providing this service. Right now, there's 34 uh, local governments that either have launched an SEC or that are working to launch it. Um, and we have seen almost 120 uh, clients that have built over $29 million in savings and reduced over $160 million in debt. So, uh, Katie, who is it uh, in particular that this program is catering to when you talk about folks in Columbus? Yeah, so um, this service will be open to all residents regardless of income, um, but usually it's focused at, at helping folks kind of build their financial stability. Um, it's often connected to other services that people are getting, like workforce development or um, you know, housing assistance, but really anyone who needs help with their finances can come to a financial retirement center. And Fernanda, this is uh, an especially complicated time because of the pandemic. I would think that this has created all kinds of different scenarios that people are finding themselves in financially. Correct. Definitely, um, you know, COVID has exacerbated financial stability and has made this work even uh, more relevant. So in the cities and counties that do have financial empowerment centers, we have definitely seen an increase in, in the demand and have also seen, you know, SECs as a core resource for emergency response efforts and counselors are helping clients, um, you know, with things around debt and credit and savings, but also to help them connect with, you know, critical resources and help them understand what is it, what is it out there uh, when it comes to resources for, uh, to, to navigate this, this uh, crisis. When you work with the city of Columbus, what area of the city, what, what government office do you work with, and, and how does all this get coordinated to have counselors actually talking with local folks? Yes. So we are working with, uh, specifically with the Columbus Women's Commission and city council. Uh, now, whenever we get to the point of, of the city actually launching the financial empowerment centers, 
uh, that the city will be putting together a marketing and outreach strategy. Um, and the city also um, recently launched this financial empowerment home within the, the city of Columbus website. So I'm sure uh, you know uh, uh, residents of Columbus can follow updates about the launch and how to access the service through through this specific website. And then when people undergo this counseling, then is it going to be one of those deals where, where somebody's sitting down with them to talk about, uh, I don't know, like a loan consolidation type program or just more further education and, and career building and changing or what? So the, the, the way that it usually works, um, it is a, a one-on-one service. Uh, it will be uh, both, you know, in person or right now really um, all ABCs are working remotely. But the idea is this is a client-driven service. So the counselor will be working with the client depending on their own uh, financial uh, situation and what are their long and, and short-term goals. And depending on that, they will be working specifically on managing their finances. What this means is they will start with putting together a budget, um, uh, establishing or increasing their credit score, uh, understanding what are the safe and affordable banking products that they will also have access to, pay down debt, and increase savings. But again, all center around what is it that the client wants to achieve and also what's the client's financial situation. Um, and another thing to, to mention is, uh, the clients can come back uh, and speak with the counselor as many times as they want. There's no limits about that. Again, this is something, this is an engagement driven by what the client wants um, and, and how long they, they will need the, they will need help for. Uh, and again, this is you know completely free. There's absolutely no fees attached to the service at all. Talking with Fernanda Villasenor and Katie Platt. They are two principals with the Cities for Financial Empowerment Fund in New York, talking about a grant that Columbus has received. Katie, anything else you want to add to this point? I would just say that, uh, you know, it's, it's really been great to see how Mayor Ginther has made uh, financial empowerment a really central part of his equity agenda. Um, you know, he's really been dedicated to, to adding financial empowerment as a critical way that the city provides services to residents. So, you know, we're really happy to partner with, with the mayor and the city. And Fernanda, uh, this is a, a difficult time. And, and for some folks, I think it's kind of like the, the last... Uh, recession. We went through the Great Recession uh, back in 08, where maybe people who are near retirement have lost their job and they're perhaps retiring earlier than they planned to and, and have just found themselves in a very difficult spot. Yeah. And, and you know, again, I think, you know, for us, um, COVID-19 has underscored the importance of municipal financial counseling. And, um, you know, having a financial empowerment center it's also a synonym of having a trusted source for for clients that are going through difficult uh, personal and financial um, situations, uh, a critical foundation for them to go and, and find, again, uh, a trusted advisor that knows about, um, you know, what's happening on the ground and how to connect uh, clients with other resources, but also, you know, to help them directly with, with their finances and, and to navigate this, this critical time. And you mentioned the Women's Center here, or I mean the Women's Commission here in Columbus is involved in this, and I know that one of the city council members has talked about concern about single women and, and women head of households, especially minorities, and the difficulties mm-hmm. that they're going through right now. 
Correct. And, you know, what we have also seen is that the FCC model is a strong investment in the communities that have historically been uh, most impacted by financial stability and that have the least access to high-quality data-driven uh, individual financial assistance for the communities of color. Um, so the one thing to mention is that almost half of the DC clients are black, almost more than a third are Hispanic, uh, almost 90% of them are low income, um, and usually the average FDC client and low income is just over uh, 20, 21,000. So, um, you know, I think uh, as we have been working with uh, Columbus Women Commission, they, they definitely have centered their efforts and approach around um, uh, women and, and uh, women of, of color. So I, I definitely think this is just sort of like another step in, in their equity agenda and how to further empower women in, in Columbus. So when is the timeline for all this to be set up and for the counseling to begin, do you think? Um, so during this year, the, the City of Columbus, again, will be um, engaging in this planning process and really understanding what's the need and, you know, where do we insert financial counseling? Because, you know, one of the core tenants of FDC is that it's integrated into other social services. Um, so potentially, um, I would say towards the end of the year, um, we will hear more from the City of Columbus around, you know, the, the actual launch of, of this free service. And any idea how many people might be helped by the service by the time it's all said and done? Yeah, so usually uh, an SEC uh, will be helping around 600 to 700 clients within a year. also depends on the number of counselors that, uh, um, that the city is able to coordinate. But I would say about 700 uh, clients. Um, and usually clients do come back more than than uh, one time or more than uh, two times. So uh, counselors are usually uh, completing over, you know, 1,500 sessions within a year. Wow. That's a significant number. I mean, that's uh, a game changer for a lot of people. Yeah. And, and, you know, again, I think, you know, the the other thing that we emphasize is these are professionally trained counselors that are fully dedicated to understand what the client is going through and to see, you know, what is it that they need to move, uh, kind of like to move up, up the ladder and, and, you know, be in a financially stable position. Um, and, and, you know, the, the other thing is, um, again, sort of like this integration into other uh, social services has been key, uh, especially, you know, during COVID-19. And, you know, one example also uh, from the state of Ohio, uh, the city of Akron launched uh, the FCC, a financial empowerment center, back in 2018. Uh, and FCC services were central to the city's COVID-19 response. Uh, they integrated this into their uh, municipal water bill. So those that were residents that were applying for financial assistance uh, were also receiving information about FCC counseling. And they also had the ability to get late fees or penalties waived if they work with the FEC financial counselor. So those type of integration with city services, that's also something that, you know, we're looking forward to see in the city of Columbus. And uh, I know that this is a ways off yet, but for people who are listening to this and may may want to get involved in this financial counseling, I, I would imagine this gets into pretty personal information to figure out exactly how people are navigating their, their money as it is, right? Correct. And, um, and, you know, what, what definitely we want to emphasize 
uh, you know, we protect the, the information that is collected in these sessions. And, you know, the, the counselor will be, uh, you know, making sure that everything that is collected in a secure database uh, is, is protected. We do not share or, you know, sell this information ever. You know, the only, the only thing that we really want to do is, again, understand the client situation and help them, you know, help them build their credit, build their savings, reduce their debt. Um, but what they can be sure of is that this, as a city-backed uh, city service, you know, it's not meant to, uh, again, sell their information, and it's going to protect them, you know, from the scams, and, again, to protect them from, you know, other predatory services out there. Um, financial counselors will be there exclusively to help the client. That's, that's what they work for, for, for the client. Um, and, and again, you know, we take all the necessary measures to make sure that the, any, any personally identifiable information is, is protected and secure. Fernanda Villasenor uh, provides technical assistance to cities looking to replicate financial empowerment strategies for the Cities for Financial Empowerment Fund, and also Katie Platt joining us, also a principal with the Cities for Financial Empowerment Fund. Fernanda, anything else you'd like to add? Um, what I want to ask, Dave, is just, again, to highlight that, you know, Columbus is joining a national movement of local governments that are, you know, looking to, to develop and launch financial counseling as a, as a free public service. And, you know, they are all following the, the FEC model. But what we have made sure of is that the FEC works in a variety of city contexts, regardless of the size, regardless of geography. We do know for sure that financial counseling can play a, an important role in resident financial stability, uh, you know, especially when we have a strong city government, government backing, you know, backing that, that integration with city services that are committed to financial inclusion efforts. So, you know, we, we just really want to thank um, Mayor Ginter for, you know, his leadership and for connecting financial empowerment in his equity agenda. Okay. Katie? Um, I would just add that, you know, increasingly we're seeing city governments realize that helping their residents build financial stability is so important to the financial health of the city. Um, and so, you know, Columbus is joining 30, 30 plus other cities across the country that are doing this financial empowerment center work. There are over 100 cities across the country that are, um, you know, working on different financial empowerment strategies. And we're just thrilled to see all the work that, that Columbus is doing. That's good stuff. It sounds like a great opportunity for people when this becomes available. Uh, and how can folks find out more about this? Is there information online they can check out? Um, so I will suggest to follow um, the Columbus Women's Commission. And also in the City of Columbus website, um, they have created this financial empowerment home where they have more information around the financial empowerment roadmap and the financial navigator program, which is, you know, they're, they're currently offering. So I'm sure more information will be shared there uh, once, you know, once the, the, the services will be available. So just to follow the, the, the financial empowerment home and, and connect with, um, with Columbus Women's Commission for, for more updates on this. Okay, Fernanda Villasenor and Katie Platt, two principals with the Cities for Financial Empowerment Fund. Thanks so much for the information today. Thank you, Dave. Thank you.
This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan, heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM. That's 1460 ESPN Columbus. And Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM. Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.